Let's ask God to give us his heart for Muslims. This is John Weaver reminding us that even in our current climate of fear, God wants to draw all nations to himself, even Muslim nations. He loves Muslims. Let's ask him to pour love in our heart for them. And John also encourages you and me to be a part of the answer to those prayers. If we know Muslims, co-worker, neighbor, whatever the context is here in the United States, let's pray specifically for them that God would then open up opportunities for us to express his love that's now in our hearts, you know, for them. And that could come in many different ways. I mean, sometimes you're in the grocery line and you see someone who looks a little bit differently. Sometimes it could just be saying, hello, how are you? Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and uh, we have a very special privilege that I am very excited about today. We have a man named John Weaver. John is the author of two books. The first one is called Inside Afghanistan, and the subtitle of that one is The American Who Stayed Behind After 9-11 and His Mission of Mercy to a War-Torn People. Uh, as you know from the subtitle, John lived in Afghanistan after 9-11. The American government said, hey, if you're an American, you should come home now. John said, no, I'm going to stay here. God's called me here. He's got work for me to do. And so we're going to talk about that. His second book is called A Flame on the Frontline, also about his work in Afghanistan. We will provide you links with those books if, if you'd like to order a copy at our website, vomradio.net. John, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. A privilege to be here with you today. Let's talk a little bit about Afghanistan. It's a dangerous place. Why, why did you feel like, that's where I want to go, that's where I want to live and serve the Lord? Well, God gripped my heart with uh, a love for, for Muslims, a love for the nations, a love for unreached people groups. And when I would think about Muslims and unreached people groups and Bibleist people groups, Afghanistan would always come to mind in prayer groups, reading Operation World, talking about missions, frontiers, the unreached, the remaining task. And uh, God just put that in my heart. I had a vision one time of actually being in Afghanistan. And um, just over and over in prayer meetings, God would speak and, uh, and give me a desire to want to go to Afghanistan to share uh, his love with unreached Muslims there. What was the response of, of your American friends? And I'm thinking of parents and church leaders and people who say, well, you know, that's nice that you think that, but that's a really dangerous place. Are you sure you want to go there? Yeah, there was a lot of pushback and a lot of questions, of course. Uh, Afghanistan's not uh, the most friendliest place, as you mentioned. Uh, you can't get a tourist visa. There's no, not, not a whole lot of tourism <laughs> going on there. There have been at times, of, of course. But, but thankfully, some of my family were a little bit prepared for it because I was already involved in some ministry work, some of which was overseas mission work. But, of course, Afghanistan would have not been the first place uh, they, they would have uh, recommended but again, sharing with them just God's heart for the nations, how he loves Muslims, how Muslims are coming to Christ. What a great opportunity to, to be involved uh, in that, 
slowly, slowly, many of them realized, wow, this, this really is what God's leading John to be involved in. Tell me something, because, you know, our country has been at war. We've had soldiers in Afghanistan for years and years now. We have a tendency to perceive the Afghan people as somehow our enemies. Tell me something you love about the Afghan people or something about that culture that that probably most Americans don't know that we would think, wow, that sounds that sounds really great. Well, normally, Todd, I like to say some of my best friends are Afghans and they're Muslims. Amen. They're very hospitable. They're very friendly. They're very loving. They love to laugh. They love to tell jokes. I remember when I finally started learning some culture and language and realized, hey, they're joking, but in a good way because they, <laughs> because they love me or they like me or they enjoy our, my, my presence. And so I would, would tell yeah, family, friends, and listeners today that, that Afghans are just like us. They're human beings created in, in God's image. But their love for relationships, for family, for being good neighbors, hospitality, reciprocity. I've learned so much. Uh, and how time's not the main thing. The main thing is, is being involved in a conversation or a relationship or helping people. But unfortunately, CNN is not showing that type of <laughs> lifestyle that there. That doesn't make the news. <laughs> I, I love your mention of time because that is such a, a true thing. I have not been to Afghanistan, but I've been to some of the surrounding countries and Drinking tea with someone takes as long as it takes. Yes. There, you don't have a schedule. You're not on to your next meeting. It is, no, we're, we're having conversation. We're talking. And as long as we're talking, I'm going to stay here. So how long did it take you to learn the language well enough to be able to understand jokes and tell jokes and understand kind of the humor? It, it took a while. And that, now, for some of the listeners that may have read Inside Afghanistan, I lived in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan before I moved into Afghanistan. So I felt in some ways God had been preparing me, not only linguistically, but also culturally. Uh, but I do remember a very, very close uh, prominent government leader in one of the towns where I lived in Afghanistan. I'd been there probably for at least a year or two. It was from him where I learned this type of joking. And uh, where he would, I would see him do it with the other village elders. I would see him do it with me. And then finally, I kind of stepped out on the limb, so to speak, and said, well, I'm going to try it too. And I think that day I had a, a new Afghan outfit on. And one of the men said, oh, wow, that thing looks nice on you. I said, well, but it'd be too small for you. <laughs> and, so, and, and they just got a kick out of it. Of course, we were drinking tea and you're sitting there and time's not important. It's the relationships. Right. It's the conversation. It's the fellowship. It's the connection. And again, I've, just, I've learned so much from that aspect of their lives. When you can do jokes, then you're in. Yes. You're in the culture. You're in the language. When you can kind of be humorous and understand humor, that's kind of a higher level learning and, and acceptance. So you're living in Afghanistan. You're serving the people there. 9-11 happens. We sort of declare war on Afghanistan, start sending troops, start sending bombs, missiles. The American government says, hey, if you're an American, you really ought to get out of Afghanistan. It's too dangerous. You should go. You say, I'm going to stay here. Talk a little bit about that decision-making process and how you felt like God said, no, no, you stay here. Yes. Well, it is a long story. I've written about <laughs> it in a, in a couple of the books. There Be is a book about it, yeah. yeah um, so. Because actually, in the end, I did have to leave for a few days. It's a long story, but the summary of it was the UN were already evacuating people. 
Other, other workers from other nationalities were already being evacuated by different means. Where we lived, we didn't have many options. So some of the fellow community of, of Christian workers that was there, some of their organizations or government said, you have to get out. So I was actually taxed with the task of helping all of them get out through the Tajik border, which we did. But I knew in my heart I was supposed to stay and be there, and so I knew that God would let me come back. And it was a, a grieving process saying goodbye to our staff, uh, and we left, and it was a, it's a long story how we even were able to get out of the country. But then a few days, one of my leaders said, I know you want to come back. I know you believe that's where you're supposed to be. And through the support of other leadership that I was accountable to, they said, no, we, we, we do bless you to actually uh, uh, go back. And again, I just knew that sometimes God calls us in the face of danger to remain there, to be his light, to be his salt, to be his channel of, of blessing and the opportunities that are created through that. And I was, again, overwhelmed with being able to be back in Afghanistan just days after 9-11, knowing that there was conflict that about to, to take place. But the Taliban were already fighting. I already lived on the front line. I lived around that particular environment already. But I knew for such a time as this, God had placed me there. And every day, multiple times, was given opportunities to speak about the hope that we have. Why are you here? What's motivating you? And it was amazing to see Afghans' minds be open, hearts to be open to our story, to our testimony, uh, to the hope that we have in Christ. And many, many neat things were happening, spiritually speaking, at that time. One of the things that we talk about here at Voice of the Martyrs is, is something we call the ministry of presence, you know, being there. And I think particularly you as an American, you could have left. You know, you could be home safe in your warm bed in America. You're there in a war zone in Afghanistan. What did the people there think of that, this idea that here's this American, he, he doesn't have to be here. We're, I mean, we're here. We were born here. He doesn't have to be here, but he's here anyway. How did they respond to that, or what did they say to you about you're the American and you're still here? Well, what it did, Todd, it gave me opportunities every day to share the gospel because they would ask questions, and their questions would be leading questions similar to what you're saying in terms of, you know, why are you here? You know, how did you get here? Why did you come here? And it would just give natural ways to say, well, you know, we're following the, the, the Messiah Jesus, you know, who said it's best to, to give our lives to serve others. No greater love than anyone could have than to lay down their lives uh, for others. So daily, by practically serving people in a tangible way, but also the ministry of presence, as you said, they're realizing, wait a second, this guy's an American? And then over time, they would realize, wow, this guy is a God-fearing follower of Jesus. What in the world is he doing here? It created endless opportunities to, to, to share Christ, to share God's Word, to share the hope that we have, and to share the reason about God's love motivating us and, and compelling us to want to be there and to serve them. But a lot of it, as you said, was also drinking tea, just spending time with people, but again, responding to their questions in a spiritual way, and many, many seeds were planted during that time. What did your ministry look like? Uh, because when I, you know, when we think about the word missionary, we think of someone who goes and he, you know, stands up on the street corner and preaches and maybe builds a big church with a big cross on top, none of which you can do in Afghanistan. What what did it look like on a day-to-day -day basis, the work that you did there and the ways that you used that to, to like you say, plant seeds? Yes. 
Well, I probably should give a little bit of context real quick. Afghanistan's a big country. It's the size of Texas. And there's no Christian churches there at all. There are believers there. They're zero, absolutely zero. So if you can imagine size of Texas, no Christian churches at all. But there are people there are hungry. Muslims are coming to Christ, people who are open. So what it looked like for us was we were, we were in a community, maybe at this stage we're giving bread to orphan children or we're doing a project for widow uh, assistance. Or maybe over here we're helping men build a bridge or build a road or dig wells, whatever the community needed. Or build a latrine. I know you wrote about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we went. We yeah. So one of the persons of peace that we met, who was one of the first men that we saw come to faith, was actually a response to building latrines, which doesn't seem very spiritual. But daily, we were responding to their needs as as, as humans in terms of their community needs. So sometimes it was water projects, or food projects, or building projects, or community development, even latrine water sanitation type projects. But that gave us access. We call that access ministry. That gave us, beyond just our presence, that gave us access and ministry to the people. And again, you're building relationships, you're learning culture, you're learning language, you're, you're, you're sitting with people. You're drinking a lot of tea. You're drinking a lot of tea, you're answering a lot of questions, and then you find out that God's at work. Even in this very dark, difficult, somewhat depressive situation, God is at work, His Spirit is moving there, and then we would join in. Uh, with sharing with people, maybe responding to pray for someone if that were the need, maybe sharing our testimony or sharing something God was doing in our life. And it's like the leaven in the dough. Slowly, slowly, one seed's planted, a little bit more influence, a little bit more of this. And then next thing you know, you're actually in a full-blown spiritual conversation where someone wants to follow Jesus. Wow. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with John Weaver. He is the author of a book called Inside Afghanistan. John, I know that you have known some of the foreign worker Christians in Afghanistan who've been kidnapped, who've been martyred for their faith. That was always a possibility for you. How do you think about that? How do you prepare yourself mentally and spiritually when you wake up in the morning and think, okay, Lord, maybe your plan for me is getting kidnapped today. Maybe your plan for me is getting martyred today. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to do the work that you've called. I'm not going to lock myself in my house and, and build a bunker. How do you do that? How do you think through that and pray through that and get to the point of saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord and whatever happens, whatever his plan is, I accept that. Yeah, th- th- that's a hard one. It was a process. I think that... Um Part of what we learned even before we went is to use the phrase from the Moravians. Some of the listeners would would be aware of that. They packed their stuff in their coffins before they went. And so they went with the mentality, we've died before we went and we're even willing to die. So I think for me, the paradigm shift was every day, not just in my time with the Lord saying, Lord, I'm willing to live this day for you, but I'm also willing to die this day for you uh, and or suffer this day for you or whatever living this day for you might entail, which could be being kidnapped or imprisoned or or, or being martyred, whatever those uh, might be. Uh, but that was a process that we would have to go through every day. I mean, somewhat like laying down our lives as a living sacrifice uh, uh, every day. And, and the comfort of the encouragement was knowing that's where God had planted us. That's where he had placed us. 
and our lives were in his hands. And so, yes, we're not only going to live this day for the Lord, but we're willing to embrace whatever comes uh, this day for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his church and his bride and his, his people there. Are there any of the people that you've known who have gone through some of those experiences? And I think I think particularly of Hanalee Gronwald, because we had her here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Her husband, Werner, and their two children were martyred in Kabul. You knew them. You have known others who have laid down their lives. Are there some of those that you think of fondly or that have particularly inspired you with the way they lived out their commitment to Christ? Well, they all have inspired us. It's a grieving process as well. I mean, some of them we've known well for many, many years. Um, But one story comes to mind, actually, of two brothers that were imprisoned and miraculously were later released. And one of them told us that there were Taliban soldiers that were in the prison where they were. And they began sharing with them. And one of the guys had his legs blown off from war, and the guy would pick him up and take him every day to use the little latrine, which was not very uh, a nice place anyway. Yeah. Him relaying to us the story of God was with us every day and how it began to soften the hearts of these ruthless wow. Taliban guys who were around us as they saw us. Well, one, we're in prison because we've done nothing wrong, only because we're followers of Jesus. And here we are serving the ones love that would us. love to kill us. And so there's a lot of testimonies and, and, and stories like that. And serving them in a very humble way. I exactly. mean, carrying someone to the bathroom, is not a, that's not a glorious mode of service. Wow. But Hanalee's story still is, inspires us as she's continuing with the Lord and knowing the ripple effect that happened from that tragic event that, uh, where Werner and his two children were killed and some Afghan brothers were killed as well. But seeing the ripple effect from that in terms of generating prayer, in terms of others saying, I'm willing to lay down my life as well, and others that have come to faith because of that, or they've used it as a stone of remembrance where they would, in a conversation, say, we remember this and what we've learned from that, how that impacted us. We've lost quite a few friends in the years that we've been involved in this. But again, seeing God's hand in all of it and realizing that how much God must love his bride in Afghanistan, that he would allow even some of these servants to go through what they've been through and to suffer what they've suffered or to be called to be a martyr for the sake of of his bride and of his church that he loves so much in Afghanistan. The Afghan believers, they face that same process of making peace with the idea that I, I could be killed. In fact, my own family could kill me. How do you, as you share the gospel, when it comes to that point in the conversation, and you understand, listen, what I'm sharing with you could get you killed, how do you approach that, and how do you prepare them or disciple them in such a way that they see that as a part of following Christ, worth totally worth it? Mm-hmm. Well, Todd, that's really a hard thing for us as Westerners, but thankfully now with these stories and experiences of others— some of which were Westerners that had been through imprisonment and been through uh, suffering or even martyrdom, were able to use that as examples, along with the biblical narrative, the biblical stories, the examples of Christ and the apostles and other prophets that were, you know, that went through suffering as well. But that is really one of the challenges when we're doing discipleship is is, is trying to help young Afghan believers to to walk through that. And to realize that Jesus is the pearl of great price. You know, if I find him, I'm willing to give my life completely, 
completely uh, for him. And we're daily inspired by uh, these guys, men and women, and their testimonies who are still in Afghanistan, following Christ, knowing that they live in the face of this danger and this uh, this possibility every day. And I know security, obviously, very high in Afghanistan, so we want to be very careful how we share. But are there some Afghan believers that you can introduce us to, uh, just share a little bit of their story, how they came to faith, and, and what they are facing, what they do face on a daily basis? Yeah, I think of several. I mean, some... Um our friends that we've had the privilege of interacting with and being involved uh, in, in their journey. And one guy just mentioned Steve, for example, uh, who I meet through a latrine project. And he becomes a seeker. He becomes interested. He sees something happening in our lives that's not necessarily happening in his life. He actually was educated. So over time, we give him the New Testament, which was available in his uh, language at that particular time. We don't realize some other things that are happening in his experience like dreams and visions. Some of the listeners would know that when we hear testimonies of Muslims coming to Christ, dreams and visions are a big part of that. Some of the listeners may have read Miraculous Movements, which is a book that talks uh, a lot about that. So we don't know that that's happening. So then when he comes and starts asking more questions, we're just surprised, like, wow, what in the world is going on here? (laughs) Not realizing that God's talking to him, not only through our lives, the presence of our lives, the service of our lives, the prayers of our lives, and even the prayers of the saints around the world who are praying for Afghanistan, but God's talking to him through his word, and he's also talking to him in his dreams. And in his case, he was the head of a house. So when he became a follower, there were a lot of others in his family that also became open and became followers of Jesus. The challenge for a lot of Afghan believers is, what do they do when they're not the head of the house? Or what do they do when their other family members aren't open to the gospel, or maybe even directly against uh, the gospel? That's the, the challenging thing. There's no local church presence in the whole country of Afghanistan. So when believers meet, they meet in a house. We've met with believers in cars because sometimes that's all we could do. Sometimes they'll meet in a park or they meet while they're walking. So they do understand that whenever two or three gather together. So now, yeah, if I've come to faith as an individual in Afghanistan, well, sometimes, especially now in this last couple of years, that person sometimes is able to connect with someone via the radio program or via the, the TV program through the Internet, through a phone, and there are times where people like us, even Westerners, even though that's not the best way, but even some of us have been able to connect with those local believers and then connect them with other uh, local, local believers. Which is a very careful process. Which is a very careful process because you're introducing people who don't know each other, who wouldn't normally know each other, have no reason to know each other except now that they are their fathers of, of Jesus. It's a very, very sensitive uh, ministry. It is actually happening. There are local believers that are involved in it. What we would also say is there are believers in the diaspora, meaning if you looked on the map and saw all the different countries that Afghanistan is surrounded by, there are believers from those different countries that are now involved in uh, connecting some of the dots for uh, Afghan believers uh, in the country. Some now, even one recently, a guy needed to travel to India for medical treatment. He was a seeker. He wanted to be a father. We were able to connect him with people in neighboring countries, and sometimes people travel back and forth for business. So there are ways that you can get things in the country, and there are ways you can help connect people, but it's a very delicate, a very sensitive 
somewhat secretive, at least right. in the sense it's only known among those who are involved in it. That's John Weaver giving us good news about how God is drawing Afghans to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. John is the author of the books Inside Afghanistan and A Flame on the Front Line. We'll link you to purchase those books when you visit our website at vomradio.net. While you're there, you can hear past episodes of The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can even binge listen to a couple of years worth of programs if you want to. When you hear from guests like John, you'll find your heart growing for the people of the world and looking at your neighbors with new eyes of compassion. Again, you can hear those archives at vomradio.net. Next week, John Weaver will be back with us. We didn't have time to air my full conversation with him today, but he'll be back with more insights into Afghanistan and encouragement for us to love Muslims and everybody else that we encounter and have an opportunity to share the gospel with. So I hope you'll be back next week to hear all of that right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.